I love to hear you pray and sing. So good. Open your Bibles to James chapter 3. If, if you follow closely what some of you do, you know, I promised to go verse by verse through the book of James, and I kind of did that, but you notice I skipped verses. Uh, and that uh, something, uh, it was a planning issue. We ended up adding a, a service, and I lost an opportunity to preach in that preaching series. So I uh, had to sort of move a sermon. And so I'm going to pick up the section of James that I missed and, and preach it with you tonight. James chapter 3, verse 13. Uh, I, I didn't uh, read that part all the way through chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, so let's just look at this tonight as a word for the church and see how God will speak to us. James chapter 3, verse 13 is where we'll start. Did you get in a lot of fights and arguments as a kid? Anybody? Fight as a kid? My dad? You fought with your brothers? Yeah. What was that like? Your brothers. And what did y'all fight over? We hated each other, but we loved each other. My dad and his brothers said they hated each other, but they loved each other. Yeah. Actual knockdown, drag out fights. I mean, punching, uh, facing the cow manure, wet corn cob kind of, kind of fights. Yeah. All of that. All of that. Anybody else? Lots of fights as a kid. Yeah, Norm? I can't even imagine. Wow, you and your brother were fighting out in the field, and a neighbor called half a mile away. Wow. You were tearing down fences, really? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. Brothers obviously fight, the sisters fight, WB? Well, so is that just play fighting? You were emulating wrestling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, just fight. You're, you're waiting on the school bus. Yeah. You learn things watching Saturday Night Wrestling, and then you'd head rake each other. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> Yeah, Pam, you say sisters fight like brothers? Yeah, really? Like physical? Wow, really? Is that true? Other sisters? You fight with their sisters? Yeah, you fought like... Yeah, many of you don't know, my mother had polio when she was a little girl, which means she always had a crutch handy. Whop! Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah. Carolyn, you fight with sisters or brothers? Fight with sisters? Wow. Uh, obviously, yeah, Jimmy, go ahead. Huh. You never like to see somebody picking on somebody smaller than they. So if there's a bully, you challenge the bully. Yeah, come on and hit you first, huh? You'd rather fight them. <laughs> yeah, what were you saying, Renee? He's always picking on you. Yeah, because he's got all the other bullies all in the corner somewhere. Yeah. Let's take a look at the scripture. Actually, James, as you know, is writing to Christians. So he's writing to churches, writing to Christian families. And some people always seem surprised that, that even in church, we don't always get along very well. And James is writing to address that. Apparently, the churches that he knows uh, have some very, very serious quarreling. And, and, and as we read, listen carefully and see if you can possibly believe that it's as bad as it sounds. 
Let's see if you can possibly believe it. Listen for several things. There are two kinds of wisdom. Listen for two kinds of wisdom in James. Uh, listen, of course, as I said, to how bad the, the fighting the quarrels are. See if you can figure out where the quarrels come from. And then he gives us about seven steps for, uh, for learning how to be humble. Uh, let's start in chapter 3, verse 13. This is good stuff. This is practical. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it. Is that good? If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Wow. It's simply profound. Prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Humility and wisdom are twin sisters in this passage. Humility and wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. That is a particularly bad business meeting, people. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulteresses, it's, it's, it's female, you adulteresses. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. What do you think the scriptures mean when they say that the spirit God has placed within us is filled with envy, but he gives us even more grace to stand against such evil desires? As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but favors, gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? That's, that's severe. That, that, that's tough. 
But it sounds like the situation in the churches he knows is, is also tough. Y'all been to those churches? Wow. Let's talk about it. First, two kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom that comes from God, and then there's the other wisdom. Where does it come from? What's it say? Yeah, such wisdom, verse 15, is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Demonic. So it's actually evil in origin. There are two kinds of wisdom. There's, there's an evil, a, a demonic kind of wisdom, and then there is the wisdom that comes from God. What's the difference between the two? What strikes you about wisdom that comes from God? L- let's talk about it. If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by talking a lot and letting everybody know how smart you are. Notice this. Prove it by just being in church every time the door is open. No. A person who truly has God's wisdom, how would they demonstrate that? In their life. In their life. As you've heard me say before, most of us, we have our, our, our church life and our life life. And what you need to understand is God is mostly concerned with your life life. Not your church life, your life life. And this is what he's saying here. If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by the way you live your life, life. Your life. Prove it by living an honorable life. Doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. We're talking about God's kind of wisdom here. So listen. Listen. Let's go down to verse 17. The wisdom that is from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving gentle at all times and willing to yield to others it is full of mercy and good deeds it shows no favoritism it's always sincere and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness what strikes you about the wisdom that comes from God where do you see it how is it expressed say it again right in servanthood, in serving others? Yeah, absolutely. If you notice, the wisdom that comes from God is expressed in relationships. All of these attributes, all of these things that, that are ascribed to wisdom, they come out in, in relationship. It's peace-loving. Peace-loving. See, that's relational. I, I, I gather that some of you can, can be at peace when you're all by yourself, although James would question that in a minute. But it's easy enough to get along when there's nobody around, but you start adding other people, and that's where we start to have conflict. But, but wisdom that comes from God loves peace, loves peace. It's gentle at all times. What's gentleness? What's it look like at all times? Gentleness. Soft, soft and loving. Jim Jarvis uses the word soft. What kind of man is he? I mean, men, do we want to be soft? Willie Ray, you don't want to be soft, do you? How embarrassing. Who wants to be soft? Chris Willingham, you going to be soft? Oh, my goodness, the guys at work would laugh at you that they would throw you out. I mean, they'd put you under a mower. I mean, you can't be soft. It's mean to be gentle. Tim Mays, you're going to be soft? You're going to let Jim Jarvis talk about you that way? What's it mean to be soft? Alex Wright, you don't want to be a soft police officer. 
I mean, if you are, please be the one that pulls me over. I mean, I want the soft police officer. What's it mean to be soft? Chris, what do you think, man? Do everything in love. Yeah, he did that well. Ron Duvall. Yeah, do everything in love. But can't I love you and then still be tough? Ooh, can I? Yeah, uh, did y'all, I know you can't all see Jack as I did, but Jack was talking, and I started to say freeze, but I, I was afraid I would freak you out. Uh, when Jack was talking about holding Elliot, he was doing his hands like this, and the whole time he talked about uh, softness, he was holding his hands like this and talking about holding his grandson. His hands probably said more than anything else, what is this? I mean, Jack's a big guy, a tough guy, but, but when he holds baby Elliot, he he holds him like this. What are we talking about? It's the same kind of thing. The Betts girls all got a new kitten yesterday. And Kayla came in and she said that she was holding her kitten. And she, her voice went up high and she started doing this. I was holding my kitten. They got a little kitten. Isn't that funny? When they talk about it, it's like this. We're holding our kitten. Yeah. It's soft. Yeah. Speaking of soft, this morning Dawn said, yeah, that cat is an outside cat. It has never been inside and it will never be inside. Yeah. <laughs> And then today, <laughs> yeah, came into church tonight, and the little girl said, oh, we had the cat in the house, and it was, we were holding it, it was on a blanket, yeah, so apparently the soft one in the house is, yeah, Matt Betts, yeah, 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 trying to be like Jesus, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just ask dad, he'll let the cat in the house. What are we talking about softness? Being gentle at all times. It's not, it's not in any way an assessment of my strength. You understand? But it is an assessment of my love, of my Christ-likeness. It's not a, an assessment of what I could do to you, but it's an assessment of the way I choose to hold your heart. Understand? It's an assessment of the way I choose to hold your heart and, and the way we choose to relate to one another. We could be brutal with one another, and some people tend to do that. that. That is their default mode. They will typically be harsh. They will typically be mean. They, they will typically not be very trustworthy with your heart. But, but, but James says that, that the wisdom that comes from God, it has this tendency to be gentle. The person who has wisdom from God is always going to be trustworthy with your heart. They will be gentle with your heart. Gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. Oh, you're kidding. Willing to yield to others. Next Sunday, coming home Sunday, there's always the issue of, of overflow in, in this room. And I think our decision is let overflow eat first. And when I tell you that, all of you are going to overflow. You know, Why is that? What is that about us? I mean, we, we want to be first. I mean, I want to be first. But if you're not first, some of us are just going home. You know, I mean, I, I want to be first, but, but the wisdom that comes from God has this tendency to change the way you see the world. You, you are always willing to yield. In other words, you don't have to win. You don't always have to get what you want. You are just as happy to stand back and let other people have what they want. It, it pleases you just the same. You understand? This is wisdom that comes from God, full of mercy, full of good deeds, 
shows no favoritism. In other words, you're not just this way with people you like because you treat everybody the same. No favoritism, always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Okay, there's another kind of wisdom, though. That's the wisdom that comes from God. It's expressed in that kind of relationship. But there's another kind of wisdom. How is it described? Verse 14, if you're bitterly jealous, selfish ambition in your heart. Yeah, verse 15, jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly. Such wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Demonic. What does that mean? Yeah, this comes from the devil. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find strife, disorder of every kind. Okay, so back down to verse 18. Those who are peacemakers will plant seeds, will sow seeds of peace. How do we do that? How do we, among the people of God in our church, how do we sow seeds of peace so that we can reap a harvest of righteousness? How do you sow seeds of peace? Yeah, but you're going through Ronnie Renee's mail. Yeah. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. Jack mentions those, and there aren't a lot of us, but but there's some in the congregation who are really, really good to send cards. And Jack says that that's a good example of a person sowing seeds of peace. Why is that? What does that do? How does that actually sow seeds of peace in the whole congregation? Because maybe we don't all get a card. How does it work? People who just go sowing seeds of peace. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the case of when you get a card from someone like that, it just it stirs something in you. You think, I, I want to be like that. I want to do something like that. I, I'm not a card person. Most of us aren't. I, I mean, my poor wife, I mean, I, I can't manage to get one to her. Um, but, but some of us are, are good at that sort of thing. We, we want to be more like the, those who manage to do this. Maybe let's change the question. How do you sow seeds of discord? If it's hard to talk about how to sow seeds of peace, I bet you can tell me how to sow seeds of discord. How can you just plant little seeds where we get just a harvest of, of bitterness and, and a mess? Yeah, gossip. Yeah, gossip. And James has already talked a lot about not being able to control the tongue. Gossip. And actually, it's in this passage too. Look over there to verses 11 and 12. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters, chapter 4. Don't speak evil against each other. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. It's your job to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies you. God alone is, is the judge. That, that word there he's using about speaking against each other, it's, it's a word for whisper. It's, it's whisper. In other words, in, in the body of Christ, among us, we don't have any place for whispering. Why do you whisper? Yeah. Typically, we're whispering because what we're telling, we don't want anybody else to hear. So often, what we're doing is actually speaking poorly of someone, speaking ill against someone, or gossiping. So so we whisper that. 
And James is saying that in the body of Christ, we don't do that. We just don't. That sows seeds of discord. You don't criticize each other. You don't judge each other. You don't whisper against each other. You just don't gossip. It is always sin. Understand? It's always sin. God help us because almost any of us are not perfect in obeying this. But it's always sin when we're doing that. And and it sows seeds of discord in the congregation. What else? What else? What else sows seeds of discord? Yeah, complaining. Yeah. Let's, let's just go right to it. Verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Where does the quarrels and fights among you, where do these come from? What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? What's the answer to that? Where do the quarrels and fights come from in a church? It's the church. Why can't we all just get along? Why can't we? What's he say? He answers his own question. Don't they come, in other words, all the quarrels and fights out there, they're coming from the evil desires that are where? Yeah, I have evil desires in me. I don't know how he knows, but he knows. I have them in me. And what are my desires doing inside me? What's it say? It's in the Bible. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Okay, so he's taking sort of an inside look at every one of our hearts. And what does he see inside every single one of our hearts? Yeah, you've got it in you. You have desires. You have evil desires inside you. And inside you is conflict. This is what he's saying. The reason there's conflict around you is because there's conflict in you. And this applies to all of us to one degree or another. The conflict around you happens because you've got conflict in you. Honestly, I said earlier that some people can only get along with themselves. Honestly, most of us don't even get along with ourselves. You fight with you, don't you? And honestly, if we're honest, I like me a little bit less than almost everybody else in the world. I have more trouble with me than I have with anybody else in the world. I fight with me. I am often my own worst enemy. I don't speak well to myself. I don't often think well of myself. I've just got this inside me. And that's why often the people who are, who are causing the most trouble, the people who can't get along with anybody, these are very miserable people. But because they have to go home and be with themselves, you understand? And if they're fighting with everybody else, you've got to understand that's a person who's fighting inside himself, inside herself. This is what James says. It's not a mystery here. You can't get along with each other because you can't get along with you. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill. Does he mean that? Do you think that, that in the church that James knew or the churches he knew, do you really think they murdered? Is that even possible? Yeah, Ron is doing what a lot of us want to do when we say, well, no, that, that, that we murder with our tongues or probably, you know, if looks could kill kind of thing. We're, we're killing them with, you know, looks or killing them with kindness. I don't know. We don't know. There are certainly some very faithful Bible readers who say that's what he says and they, they must be doing it. It's possible that it went that far. You understand, right, that it, that it happens. That there are church people who take their conflicts to the point where they kill each other. I mean, I hear about it. I read about it. I've shared some of it from the pulpit. 
There, there are Christian neighbors who fight and kill each other. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, but, but James believes it. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and, and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have. You can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Okay, we all have these desires in us, and, and the desire creates this incredible conflict inside of me, inside of you. What am I supposed to do with these desires? How am I supposed to find satisfaction for my desires? But what's he say? You don't have what you want because you, you don't ask God for it, okay? So remember, God is our source. If you don't have what you want, the fact that your neighbor has it shouldn't make you hate them. Understand? It shouldn't make you jealous. Jealousy does not come from above. It doesn't have anything to do with the wisdom that comes from God. If you're jealous and selfish, you understand? James says that's demonic. That comes from, from hell. You understand? That, that's evil. Jealousy, selfishness, these aren't things that have to do with Christ. So if you don't have what you want, you can't just turn around to other people and, and blame them for it or try to take it away from them. Whatever it is that you need, God is your source. So if you need it and you want it, you ask God for it. Understand? You, you find your needs satisfied in him. Okay? So if I ask God for everything I want, will I get everything I want? Yeah, no, he, he, he touches on that too. Even when you ask, you, you don't get it because your, your motives are all wrong. You, you want only what will give you pleasure. You understand? If I'm only praying for the things I want, I'm only praying for the, for the things that I crave, I'm praying from that evil wisdom, that, that, that kind of selfish, demonic, earthly, unspiritual evil wisdom. You don't pray from that place. So how do I change? Seven steps here, and we'll hit them pretty quickly. Uh, it comes from God. The grace that comes from God comes to all of us, but only the humble receive it. This is what James will say. Only the humble, only those who come before God in humility will receive the grace from God to have this transformation takes place. And he's got seven steps for self-humbling. Start with verse 7. What's the first step? Submit to God. Submit to God. What does that mean? Put it in your words. Submit to God. Turn your life over to him. the same spiritual principle. You can't follow God if you're running ahead of God. Yeah. You have to submit to him. That means you walk as he walks. It means that you pause when he pauses. You don't get to set the timing of things. To submit to God means that you, you, you don't resist him in anything. You don't resist him in anything. Whatever he asks, you give. Whatever you must surrender, you surrender. You submit yourself to God. Don't resist him in anything. What comes next? Resist the devil and he'll, he'll flee from you. 
That's amazing. It's an amazing promise. Claim that promise. Live this way. If you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. This simply means that, that if he's actively resisted, if you actively stand up against the devil, he's powerless before you. Understand? He has no power over you. If you, if you stand against him, if you resist him, he flees. He flees. The reason the devil continues to hang around you is because you're sort of buddy-buddy with him. You've got to evacuate him from your life. You have to resist him. You have to say no to him. Understand how this goes. You submit to God and you resist the devil. But too often, many of us, we're actually resisting God and saying yes to the devil and everything. This explains the trouble of your life, you understand? You surrender to God, and then you say no to the devil. Always yes to Jesus, always no to the devil. It's, it's simple. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Verse 8, what's next? Yeah, draw near to God, and there's a promise that goes with that. When you come near to him, he will, yeah, he'll draw near to you. Uh, I, I don't want to belabor this, but understand that James is purposefully using priestly language here it's, it's, it's priestly language only the priest in James's Jewish world was allowed to, to come near to draw near into the presence of God but he's saying here to every Christian that, that, that you are a priest you have full access to him you don't need somebody to, to, to stand halfway in between and go to God for you you go straight to God he comes straight to you every single one of us operates like a priest before God next one wash your hands you sinners What's that mean? Why does he say wash your hands? Yeah, get, get the dirt out of your life. Yeah, some of you, it's communion day. Some of you watch me very, very closely on communion day. Why do you watch me? From the time you walk in the door, you're watching my hands because you know I'm going to touch your bread. Oh, I know it. I feel it. People watch me. They, they watch me. If we're singing to him and it's right before communion and I do this... I just ruined the Lord's Supper for about half of you, if, 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 if you know, if you know. That's why I keep hand gel on, on the pew right before communion. I squirt it kind of kind of, so y'all can see me up high. You think I'm worshiping? I'm putting a hand gel right here. And I rub it so everybody just feels better. I want you to know that, that my hands are clean. Yeah. What is it about the hands? Why do we worry about the hands? Because the hands are the point of contact with the world. Whatever I touch, I probably touch with these hands. So any defilement of the world is most likely to be rubbed off on the hands. It's a spiritual kind of metaphor here. But it's the idea that the hands are the point of contact with the world. And you want to make sure that, that you cleanse yourself from all contact with the world, with the sin of the world. You just can't draw near to God. You can't humble yourself before him and continue to come into his presence with sin in your life. You, you can't. The sin in your life should be as disgusting to you as the pastor touching your bread right after he touches his nose. You understand? That, that nauseates you. And yet the sin in your life doesn't seem to trouble you whatsoever. You need to have that kind of gag response to the evil in your own heart. Wash your hands, you sinners. Next one. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided. What's he talking about there? What's it mean to have a pure heart? Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A pure heart. A great theologian once said that, that, that purity of heart is to desire one thing. It's to only want one thing. 
James says that a double-minded person, a person who wants more than one thing, they're unstable in all their ways. The idea here is that you have one loyalty, one loyalty, a, a pure heart, one undivided loyalty. And who deserves all of our loyalty? Yeah, you, you, you can't be loyal to God and also a friend of the world. It, it doesn't work. A, a, a pure heart is one who has undivided loyalty. Next one, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and, and, and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. What's that about? Let there be tears for what you've done. L lament, mourn, and weep, he says. Yeah, it's about repentance. But it's not just the, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. It's not that. There's something deeper here. Why is the commandment to, to lament, to weep, to cry real tears and, and mourn and weep for what you've done? What's the point? Yeah, there's this, there's this literal crushing that seems to be implied here. It's this very deep change in attitude toward myself and the old life. You understand? There's this radical transformation. I, I, I truly despise the man that I've been in the past and that's why I cry real tears for what I've done and it's why there's sadness instead of laughter the things that used to entertain you the things that used to sort of bring you a little bit of joy they don't have the same effect on you anymore but because you're a new person there's a radical transformation here and these words let there be sorrow and deep grief let there be tears let there be sadness it's this idea that, that I have this radical radical change of attitude about myself it's repentance. Last one. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. It's interesting. Always in Scripture, when it talks about humility, humbleness, there's always this double motion. You humble yourself, and Christ will lift you up. He, he, he lifts up those who are humble, but he brings down the proud, always. So it's this double motion. It's not so much that God wants us all low, that God wants us down on the ground, you know, with our face in the dirt. No, but he wants you to put yourself there so that he can do what? So that he can lift you up. You see, our problem is we want to lift ourselves up. But we want to stand up tall. We, we, we want to take pride in ourselves and our accomplishments and how religious we are and how much we do for the Lord. We like to lift ourselves up. But, but, but God promises that anybody who lifts themselves up, what's he going to have to do? He's going to bring you down. He's just going to bring you down. So humble yourself. Humble yourself and let the Lord be the one that lifts you up. Yeah, where does the quarreling, the conflict come from, he asked? It comes from the, the mess inside of us, the, the selfishness, the pride, the jealousy. The only real answer for that is, is this total transformation that comes from God, and he offers it to everybody. But according to James here, only the humble, only those who are humble will receive it. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Yeah. Humble yourself. 
He will lift you up. Any final thoughts from anyone? Anything? Let's, uh, let's have a prayer together. Let's, let's uh, close the service of worship, turn right back around and start our family meeting. Uh, and, and seriously, let's just turn right around and start that. I'll, I'll give you a chance if you're a guest to slip out. We'll uh, call the meeting to order in, in about four minutes, okay? About seven minutes after seven, something like that. But let's have a word of prayer first. Stand together, please, and let's pray. God, we just surrender ourselves to you, and in so doing, Lord, we just want to declare and affirm that you are the head of this church. God, we pray as we go into this business session that you will be the one who controls every heart and every mouth. Lord, we pray that your wisdom will inform every decision. Lord, this isn't for us, it's for you. We truly want to be a people, Lord, that that you can bless, that will glorify you. Lord, we recognize that sometimes we become enemies of you because we become friends with the world or because we begin to put ourselves first, Lord Jesus. Humble us. Bring us, Lord, to the place where you can do everything you want to do in our hearts. Remove the selfishness and the jealousy. Remove, Lord, that, that, that divided loyalty that we have and just help us, Lord, to be pure-hearted and completely surrendered to you. Make each and every one of us, Lord, men and women, boys and girls, who sow seeds of peace in this church, in this community, and in the world for you, Lord. Help us to sow peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.